Thank you, guys. I appreciate that, but I feel set up for failure now. <laughs> There's pretty much nothing I can do that's going to be that fun. Um, uh, what a great way to get started. We are um, uh, excited for you to be here as we're continuing through. And actually, we're going to, Lord willing, finish John 6. We did it in the first service, so um, hopefully you guys will be able to pull that off like they were um, as we get through John chapter 6. Um, so just to give you the background... We've been um, teaching through John for a while, and then um, where we got in John chapter 6 is you get this great story, which um, Dr. Livesay taught, man, over a month ago um, about the feeding of the 5,000, which as he pointed out was probably more like the feeding of the 10 or 20,000 or more. Um, and so those same people, they went away that night full, stuffed full of bread and fish. They went home. Next morning, they woke up hungry. That's what, uh, when you take care of the earthly things, the fleshly things, there's nothing wrong with that, but just recognize that they're not going to last. Um, you have this awesome experience, it's gonna, you're going to want to have that experience again. You can't, the, the flesh is never satisfied with that kind of stuff. And so uh, they were hungry, they ate, they were full, they slept, they woke up the next day and they were hungry again. Um, and so they decided to hunt down Jesus, they find him in Capernaum, and they come to him and say, okay, we're here, and he says, but you're just here for breakfast. You're not here to learn. You're not here to grow. You're not even here because of the signs. You're not here because I'm the Messiah. You're not here because you've met God. You're not here for all these. You're here because you're hungry. You just want breakfast again. And, and I think they kind of, you know, kind of respond to that. And, and, um, and they say, well, we, we would love to believe in you if we could see a sign from you. And again, these are the same people who were fed, thousands of them, fed by five loaves and two fish 12 hours before. But now they want a sign. They want a miracle. And here's their brilliant idea for a miracle. It's food. Um, which is exactly kind of what Jesus had called them out on, on that attitude. So Jesus then says, well, you want to know food, I will teach you about food. Let me teach you not just, though, about the food of the flesh, literal bread and fish or wine or whatever, not literally the, the things that feed the, just nourish the body, but instead the things that nourish the soul for eternity. So, so let me teach you about real food. The real food is me. Jesus Christ, the Son of God, that's who the real food is. He's the bread. You want bread? He is the bread. You remember, he made that proclamation, I am. I am the bread of life. And so this concept of life is, is all through the book of John. We're going to really camp there when we get to John 10. Um, but this side, Jesus says, I, I am the bread of life. I'm the bread that you really want. And he continues to follow on with the idea. And just like bread is broken, I will be broken. And he, he makes this connection for us, which we really dove into a couple weeks ago, this idea of, of the body being broken and the blood being shed. And he said, in fact, I'm the, I'm the food that you really need, and the food you really need is my broken body, is my shed blood. Therefore, you must eat my body and drink my blood. Well, that's a pretty tough conversation for a Jewish audience, especially first thing in the morning. And he tells them, this is about, I'm the one who does the saving here, and God the Father is the one who does the drawing here, and it's like this, and they don't like it. This is a teaching they're offended by. We referenced a couple of weeks ago how much hasn't changed in the last couple of thousand years, that you come to somebody with, with something and you say, here is the message, and they say, I don't care if it's true, what I care is, am I offended? And if I'm offended, I'm not interested. And so these people are offended by Jesus' teaching. We're going to pick up there. Jesus tells them, tries to explain to them, starting in verse 63 of chapter 6, it's the Spirit who gives life. The flesh is no help at all. 
The words that I have spoken to you are spirit and life, but there are some of you who do not believe. John puts a parenthetical phrase in here. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. I think we'll see through the book of John that John finds the betrayal of Judas Iscariot very, very offensive himself, very personally offensive. Um, And so John makes a point of it kind of every chance he gets. And he said to them, so Jesus' words would have been more like, but there are some of you who do not believe. This is why I told you that no one can come to me unless it is granted him by the Father. Now this is an amazing thought, isn't it? This is literally a population maybe of thousands. And they, they saw Jesus take just a, a little bit of food and feed thousands. They, the way I know they saw that is because they showed up the next morning. They saw it, and they believed it happened, and their stomachs were full, and they want to see it happen again. They experienced the miracle to the point that they came back the next day to experience it again. So there's no ignorance here. They know what happened. But what a wild thought that someone might not believe, even after seeing something like that. One of the things that, um, that I've found, and, and I hope you find, I hope you get a chance to be involved in life groups and discipleship groups and, and just hanging out with friends and family, it's, it's amazing to me how often we don't know each other's stories. We don't know how our, even sometimes our spouses or our, our parents, how they came to the faith if they're Christ followers. How did that happen? What was, the, what was that a story? How what did God do to draw you? And, and I found over the years, one of the things I love about being a therapist is getting to hear people's stories, even as awful and tragic as they can be, also how amazing and redemptive and powerful they can be. But this is a part of the story that anyone, that people around you need to know. And here's what you'll find. Though there are common aspects of it, they're also in, the, the patterns are incredibly unique. Yes, someone told you, you heard it. You heard the gospel somewhere. You heard that there was a God who loved you and who came to save you. You heard that. And you were convinced. But every one of us is different in what it takes to be persuaded, for us to believe, for us to be convinced. And and also, by the way, each of us have different anchors that we hold to that allow us to stay convinced when we doubt or when we fear or when we question um, but this is, a, this, is a, this is a powerful idea that we each have these stories. Some of us, for some of you, it was, it was more of a gut feel. You were somewhere, you were at the end of a week of camp, or, or you, were, you were someplace that was, a, it was a cool place where life had been simplified down to this message, and you knew in your gut, you just felt that this is the truth. And I'm going with that. For some, it may have been more of an intellectual pursuit. You read this book, and then you read this book, and then you read this book, and then you listened to this speaker, and you listened to this speaker, and and slowly you were convinced, and your hard questions that you thought were unanswerable got answered. And you said, wow, look at that. And so maybe for for you it was more of an intellectual thing, or maybe maybe it was more of a, a relational thing, someone who you really loved and respected. This was their walk. And you said, "This I want my walk to be like their walk. With each of us, if you've had that, God the Father has drawn you in different ways. We're each of us. He has drawn you. He has, he, has, he has created the right conditions by the power of his own hands that would allow you, that would put you in a position where you would, of your own freedom, say, you know what? That is the truth. I, I get it. I'm convinced. 
we're going to talk about before we're done, we don't ever want to take credit for that. Because only God can draw us in. Only he can grant us to be a part of this. Only he can create the right conditions under which we would accept that free gift. We'll talk more about that as we, as we move on. There's, again, similar aspects, but each of our stories are very, very different. We do that as a staff. I mean, recently we've gone through, when we have our staff meetings, at the end of each staff meeting, we have a time of each person answers a question. And the most recent one we went through again, um, which we did, we did again a few years ago, was how did, how did you come to know God? And every one of us, it's very different. What is, the, what is that message there? But what the Bible teaches us is that we have the, what it takes. We have the information we need. God has created those conditions. That if, if we are willing to be persuaded, we could be. There's no excuse, if you will. For what Paul says in the book of Romans, chapter 1. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So they, meaning mankind, are without excuse. Sometimes it's funny when I get the opportunity, and uh, I haven't had the chance to do it much recently, but when, uh, you know, I spent a lot of time a couple of years ago or a year ago, I'm getting the opportunity to engage with some different atheists um, uh, in debates or in conversations or, or that kind of stuff. And um, I'm always available to it. It's been intriguing over the years how often I throw that out and how rarely anyone's ever interested to come talk about it. Um, uh, so a few years ago, I even threw out at Easter service the, the question of, hey, if I, I can't get any of the free-thinking atheist groups from East Texas, any of East Texas, much less Tyler, to be willing to invite me to come answer questions, and, and incidentally, still have not. Um, it's the, the invitation's out there. But a nationally known one, so many of you saw him, we actually have one of the conversations online um, on our website. He came and he talked. And, and so people say, like, doesn't that make you nervous to sit down and talk with someone who's, man, they've written books and they've had all these conversations and they're whatever. And, and how, do you, how do you do that or what makes you want to do that or, or whatever? And, and I think it's, you know, people say, people expect me to say, like, well, I've read a lot of books or I've studied a lot of things or I've, I've done that kind of stuff. But let me tell you why I'm willing to do that. Um, can, can I just tell you what a positive, warm feeling it is to know that the, ver the side that I've taken is the truth. Like, it's actually the truth. And those of you who are attorneys, what's it like to defend an actually innocent person? Isn't that nicer than having to defend someone who isn't? When I, when I have absolute 100% confidence that all of the evidence that has any meaning whatsoever points to the fact that there is a God, and then the best, the best evidence after that points to us that it would be the God revealed to us through the person of Jesus Christ. Like, let me show you the comfort. I'm going into that conversation knowing I may be stumped. There may be a question I can't answer. But that just means it's a question I can't answer. It doesn't mean there's not an answer. It's, it's so comforting to know, like, I love when they ask a question that I can't answer. I'm like, that is going to be so fun to research. But what I run into so often is people have these questions, but they've never, they've never bothered to study it. They don't look into it. They, they will have some question. Oh, here's my big question that no one can seem to answer for me. And I'm like, really? So... I mean, I have, there are writings of people who started answering that question 1,500 years ago. Have you read any of their stuff? Because people were wrestling with that a long time ago, and there's, there's 5,000 people who wrote a book about that this year. You read any of their stuff? No? See, it seems intriguing to me. It would make me think that maybe somebody doesn't want to be persuaded. They don't want to be convinced. That, that feels very different to me, that, that God is not forcing it down their throat, but he's saying, listen, I've given you all the evidence that you need. I've given you plenty of evidence. 
Um, every time there seems to be new, new discoveries in physics, it's like the Christian world can't keep up with applying the new physics to what we know to be true. It's happening faster. That physics is teaching what we teach is true faster than we can keep up with it. When a few years ago, the, the kind of, I think it's fair to say, ravingly anti-God, anti-Christian astrophysicist um, Lawrence Krauss said in a, in a podcast after mocking Christians for a little while, came to and said, not able to make the connection between these two, said, so the newest research is that, that essentially there was nothing, and then suddenly there was something. Like, yeah, that was, by what process, Dr. Krauss, would that have happened? We don't know. We just had nothing, and then suddenly there was something. All right, we'll go with that then, Dr. Krauss, that there was, there was nothing, and then almost as if someone spoke it into existence, suddenly there was something. That's... We'll go with that then. It's, it's fascinating to me. It's why this, this Romans passage, I think, is why most people in the world, even if they don't agree with us about God's name, almost everyone, I mean, it's, it's a huge percentage of people agree that there is some kind of a God out there, and many of us know that. And the book of John is meant to help you see, listen, since you understand there's a God out there, who is this God? And that's why the book of John is here. We'll continue to go into it. That's why he wrote what he wrote. So if that's you, you're especially um, in the perfect place to learn about what he's saying here. If some of you... Jesus tells them, some of you still don't believe. Some of you don't faith in the Greek. Remember, Greek, in the Greek, faith is, an, is a verb here. Some of you don't faith me. But think about this. Very few, and, and Jesus is not gentle about this with these people in North Galilee. At one point, he tells them, if Sodom and Gomorrah had heard what you've heard, had seen what you've seen, Sodom and Gomorrah would have repented. But you still haven't. See, they had Jesus walking around in their presence. Very few people have been gifted with God's own word as those people of northern Galilee had been. One group of people who probably have been more gifted with God's own word than the people of north Galilee is us. We have been more gifted with God's word than any other population in history, including those who literally walked with him on earth. We have thousands of different translations People often ask, hey, which translation should I read? And my answer is, well, which one will you read? That's the one you should be reading. If there's a version you'll read, I recommend that one. I mean, there's a few that, no, probably you shouldn't be reading. But, the, but there's, for the most part, listen, the idea here is that, that God, this is God's word, and it's, we have this love letter from him, and it's totally appropriate that we be reading it and studying it and learning from it. That's its power. We, we really believe in God's power, and that God's power through his word to change us. We actually have better copies of even the Hebrew Old Testament than the Apostle Paul did. We'll talk about this when we get to chapter 8, but man, we have incredible resources, much less millions of pages of commentaries, of brilliant people who have different opinions on these different passages that we can read and study. And we, we are so gifted Part of our belief, why we teach God's word week after week after week here is because we believe that, that God has told us that this is, this is the power to change us. This is the power to grow us is found in the truth of his word. It's why we're challenging, we, we, every year we're going to be challenging each other to memorize or re-memorize Philippians 2 verses 1 through 16. That passage is so rich with just the basic premises of loving each other well. If your family is not yet perfect, Philippians 2, verses 1 through 16 is a good place to start. Um, if, you're, if your relationship's in your neighborhood or in your church, 
If you go like, I don't know how to deal with this situation, well, I recommend memorizing Philippians, 1, Philippians 2, 1 through 16. Great basic teaching for how to relate to other human beings. I believe in the power of that passage and the others to change us. Um, God's, God's word flows like we've eaten it or like we've, I don't know how to say drink that way, drinking it, drink, like we took it in like liquid. And it changes us like that. 2 Timothy 3.16 says, All scripture is God-breathed, breathed out by God, and profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the person of God, ESV says, man of God, the man of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. For us, we, is, is God's word breathed out by God and therefore valuable to us to be taught, to be changed, to be corrected, to be trained. These are things we need, and God has given it to us in such clear form. And yet, it's amazing how little most of us engage with this, how little we do, and, and I think that's, that's bad news. The other thing in this passage I think that John is doing for us is showing us, in kind of a scary way, how close you can be and not get it. How close you can be and, and not understand it. How close you can be and not faith him not believe in him, not trust him. Um, otherwise, it would be impossible for one of Jesus' own followers to betray him. These are people who are going to walk away. Consider the significance of this a little scary. We are given enough to convince us, but someone who travels with Jesus personally can decide to deny him rather than serve him. It's a powerful testimony. Um, this is not anything you'd ever want to fake, but it's a powerful testimony when someone who has been in church for many, many years when, whether they've been a, a church leader or a, a pastor or a deacon or church staff or, or just a member, and they come to the recognition of the fact that they've never actually followed Christ. They've never actually put their trust in him. They've been through this motion or that motion. They've done this behavior or that behavior, but they've never really put their faith in Jesus Christ to save them and lead them forever. Um, it's really cool when, that, when someone steps forward from that position and says, you know what, I think it's high time for me to admit I'm lost. Think about this phrase that John tells us. For Jesus knew from the beginning who those were who did not believe and who it was who would betray him. It's an interesting double meaning here. Probably here John is referencing the fact that, that Jesus knew from the time they started following him that they would not continue following him. But I think it's also, this is John, the deeply theological gospel that says, no, no, from the, the beginning. Jesus knew from the beginning those who would follow him and those who would not. I hope if you're a follower of Christ, it comforts you to think that God looked down through all of time and chose you and chose to create the right conditions under which you would accept his free gift. It's one of the cool things to come back to when our own faith, our own belief, because remember, belief is, is really just kind of a psychological state about us. We believe, but we also sometimes doubt and we sometimes don't believe and we and we, we hopefully all identify with the man who said to Jesus, I, forgive, I believe, forgive my unbelief. I think all of us have been there. That, that conversation we would recognize, what's it going to take for every one of us? It's a unique experience. What does it take? Each one of us hold on to different things um, moving forward with that. But understanding with, with Jesus Christ here, understanding that a Judas Iscariot and these other people could see these miracles, could walk with him and talk with him and engage with him for years and in the end go, you know what? I just don't buy it. 
We're lying to ourselves as we think we need more. We've got plenty. 65, Jesus says, this is why I told you, no one can come to me unless it's granted him by the Father. It's helpful to remember, some of us want our righteousness, this to be about our righteousness, to go, well, I was intellectual, so I followed the intellectual path, and no, no, I'm more of a feeler, so I followed that gut feeling path instead of recognizing God is the one who created that path. God is the one who created the path to give us the opportunity to, to accept his free gift. Part of us wants that righteousness, wants our righteousness to be about us. And this is something we need to confess and walk away from. Our righteousness doesn't come from us. The closest thing we can come to righteousness apparently is faith. Isn't God so generous that he looks down on us, I believe, like he did Abraham and says, wow, man, righteousness. I'm going to give you a, um, well, a zero. You, you really are not cranking out any righteousness at all. Even the good things you do are tainted by bad motives, impure thoughts. Yeah, your righteousness score is not so great. But you know what? I think it really seems... You know what, you authentically are trying to put your, you're trying to, to faith in me, you're, you're trying to follow me, you believe in me, you trust me, you're willing to trust me. You know what, we'll call that righteousness. And he takes our faith and he counts it as righteousness. That's an amazing thought. This, that's the closest we get. It's not our righteousness that gets us saved. Every single break off and take off and every single new version of Christianity that's come into existence for 2,000 years um, or claims to be connected to Christianity for the last 2,000 years has taken that back out of God's hands and attempted to put it back in ours. Every one of them has come along and said, no, no, it's really about your merit. No, no, it's really about your ability to follow the rules. It's really about your ability to follow the laws. This really comes down to every single break off from Christianity from the time of Christ and his teaching till today has been some version of saying, like, actually, it's still back about us, which is stunning to me. The level of delusion involved in that boggles my mind. Um, a few years ago, I heard a, a professional basketball player speak. Some of you heard me talk about this, but it, this stood out to me. And, um, and he said, let's imagine that for a minute, that, uh, that the only way to get to heaven is to throw 100 free throws in a row without missing any, okay? And he said, um, hey, this is an audience probably about 1,200 people, and he goes, um, how many of you would, uh, would let me throw your free throws for you? And about half the crowd raised their hand. And he goes, um, I want to speak to the other half of the crowd who didn't raise their hand. How many of you have ever thrown 100 free throws in a row? And no one, no one raised their hand. So 600-ish people, none of them raised their hand. And he goes, let me get this straight. You've never thrown 100 free throws in a row, and yet you would rather be the master of your own fate. You would rather be in charge of your own eternity all the way to hell than to have at least a shot at somebody else doing it for you? Is that what I'm really understanding? Like, that's, that's your mindset, is that you're like, well, if I'm going to fail, I'd rather fail by my own merits. Well, you will. You've, if you've never thrown 100 free throws in a row ever, let me tell you what your odds are of doing that. None. You will not. I'm 100% certain you will not throw 100 free throws in a row. He said, he said, I only do it about half the time. But at least I would give these guys half a chance of getting in. You guys have no chance. This is, this is the picture that Jesus is creating here. This is the only path. This is the only way for us to, for you to do this. Um, 
is for the Father to grant you the right things you need to believe and for you to say, I am persuaded. I get it. Some part of us wants it to be about us. That would be, that would be comforting to us, I guess. It would not me. Um, it would not comfort me at all to think it was about me. Now, here we have um, verse 66. Try not to think too much about the fact that this is chapter 6, verse 66. Just don't. <laughs> Don't, let, don't think about that at all, okay? <laughs> After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Now, one is, as we'll talk about in a few weeks when we get to chapter 8, probably the number of the beast is 616, not 666. I know some of you are disappointed. You carved the wrong thing into the desk when you were a student in high school. That was a, um, that's the best research. I'll explain that again in a couple weeks. We still don't know what it means. It doesn't help us understand it at all, which I think is a great sign of God's sense of humor. No, no, I'm going to reveal to you through these better copies that we've found that's actually 616. Okay, cool, we still don't know what it means. Nope, you don't. doesn't help a bit. So anyway, remember um, our study of Ephesians. This passage is, is, I'm making a joke here because it's really kind of heartbreaking. After this, many of his disciples, not meaning the 12, the word disciple here means just follower, student. They're disciples, they're people who follow Jesus because they're curious. They're people who follow Jesus um, uh, because they're like, interested or intrigued, and then there are those who trust. Um, these were apparently ones who were somewhere between intrigued and just curious. And, and so, but here you have this, there's a, a, a word here that we've looked at before when we studied Ephesians a little over a year ago. Um, maybe the key word to the book of Ephesians is the word peripateo, to walk. Um, it means more than just putting one foot in front of another here. It's the idea, it's a, a couple different root words. The idea here is to live this way. It's more than just to just walk a certain, but it means the, what we would say when we say walk this way. Like this is your walk and your talk should match. That kind of idea, to conduct life this way. Um, a few of the key ones that are in Ephesians, and there's many of them. 2.10 says, we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. It's always an identity statement. This is who you are. Now act like it. This is what you are. This is who you are. Now live that way. Walk that way. Walk according to who you are. For one says, I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Again, Christianity is not some behavioral modification faith. It's an identity faith. Your identity has changed. This is who you are. Now you're free to walk that way. Now you get to walk that way. Now you can walk that way and you ought to walk that way because it's who you are. It's what you are. 5.2 says, therefore, be imitators of God as beloved children and walk in love as Christ loved us and gave himself up for us, a fragrant offering and a sacrifice to God. Verse 66 said, after this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. Same root words. This isn't just a matter of they were like, you know what, I'll come back another time. This was a decision. They no longer walked his way. They were no longer his disciples who followed his way. They were no longer his students who studied his way. They decided to follow someone else, to go a different direction. Amazingly, after being fed the day before. But today, they're offended. Today, they're not getting breakfast and they're getting teaching they don't like. So they decide to not follow him anymore. I want to comment about something uh, that I think is significant and that we always need to be thinking about and prepared for. 
One of the great blessings that we've experienced as a church is from, at least from day one, space has been an issue. Um, those of you who've been around for a while, you think of all the different places that adult life groups, adult Sunday schools have met on this campus. It is pretty much every square foot. There's been as many as six or maybe even eight adult Sunday school classes that met in this room at the same time. That did not work well. We have tried all the types of different things. Space has been an issue all along, and especially since everyone's bringing their children. I don't know what it is with these large families. Man, three, four, sometimes five children. What the heck? Um, for, those, for those of you who are guests, I have five children, so um, that's my, part of my comedy there. The, um, the, uh, the space has been an issue from day one. We have experienced growth pretty much nonstop to one degree or another, at least for the last seven years while we've been counting. It's a great blessing. We're thankful for it. But understand, growth is not the ultimate measure of success for the church. That's not how it works. Growth is a great thing when we have it, but understand that there may come a day when to teach the truth means to shrink the population. There may come a day when people aren't willing to sit and listen to the truth anymore. That, that, that day is going to come. And there may come a day when we see, when we're teaching and we're studying God's word the best we can and teaching it the best we understand it, and people may say, you know what? I don't care what else is going on here. I don't care what else is being offered here. I'm offended by that, and I'm not coming back. I'll go find somebody else to follow. I'll go find, and, and we need to know in our hearts and understand that's okay. If that's that, how that plays out, that's okay. Our ultimate measure of success is obedience to Christ, and there's not a second one. That's the problem with counting nails or numbers or nickels in order to figure out whether you're being successful at a ch as a church. Often, healthy things grow, and that's awesome. But when it comes to the kingdom of heaven, often, truthful things don't when it comes to people's measurement. So as we're looking ahead, as we're engaging with that, remember that it is God's job to draw people. It is Jesus Christ who, when lifted up, draws all men to himself. It's not me. It's not you. We live out what we think God has called us to do the best we can. And people will say, man, your church is so hospitable. And we, awesome. We're trying to obey God in that. But he's the one who draws people. And for us to consistently be coming back to that in our minds, to recognize, I hope we keep growing. I, I hope that we keep bringing children. Um, there's going to be a day when these children need to be well prepared. It may be their generation that faces this in the church in America. That faces churches that give in and then die, or churches that don't give in and then shrink. That may be exactly what happens with them, and we need to be teaching them and preparing them. We need to be working with them and teaching them. We need to be engaged in those classrooms over there at least one hour, at least four months a year, to train them up and prepare them to be the leaders and teachers and ministers and missionaries of the gospel in the next generation. It's why we're here. This is... This is Vital for us to keep in mind and understand growth, as wonderful as it is, is not always a sign of success. Obedience is the only true sign of success. In the end, that's all that matters. Consider this. Jesus Christ himself 
in one of the greatest moments of anti-growth. Um, man, whatever his church growth program was, it totally fails him here. He has maybe tens of thousands of people who have gathered to have breakfast with him on this morning, and he has not fed them, and now he has only offered to feed them himself and the truth that comes with him, and they're offended by it, so they leave. How many of them? It doesn't say exactly, but it does tell us in verse 67, so Jesus said to the 12, do you want to go away as well? Now, this may be when, the, when this population narrowed down from tens of thousands to 72, which we, we see those 72 do later. It is also possible that Jesus is standing here in the synagogue at Capernaum with him and 12. Whatever that number is, it is tiny compared to the tens of thousands. So he turns to the 12. Do you want to go away as well? It's interesting the question he asks. Do you want to go away? We get Peter's response. Simon Peter answered him. And he doesn't actually, this is a yes or no question, and Simon doesn't answer it with a yes or no answer. And I think there's a reason for that, because Jesus asked, do you want to go away? And I think there's part of Peter that's going, well, do I, do I want to go away? Um, kind of. Peter's answer, though, is this. Where would we go? Lord, to whom should we go? You're the one with the words of eternal life. We have faithed. And we have come to know. By the way, notice how those are put together. If you were raised on the idea that faith and knowledge were somehow in opposition to each other, let this become a verse for you. We have believed. And we have come to know. Both true. That you are the Holy One of God. Peter may not be happy with it. How could he as a Jew be happy with his teaching? I think Peter's way of saying is, I don't, I don't get it, but I know you do get it. I don't know what this is, but I know where to go to get it. I don't know who this is all about, but I get that you do. I get that this is who you are. You are the Holy One of God. You're the only place I can come to truly get the spirit life more importantly than the life of the flesh. I'm not just, I, with you, I'm not just alive. I have life. And I may not like it, but it's still the truth. I don't think it's unlikely that Peter was offended by this teaching. But the truth was more important than Peter's level of offense. Yeah, I don't like this either, but where else am I going to go? I would rather hear the truth that I don't like than to hear some falsehood that I do like. I prefer that. This is, a, this is a great moment for Peter. I don't know about you. I don't necessarily understand all of this, but you are where I find the words of eternal life. This, this to me reminds me of the idea of a path that we don't like the path, but we like where the path is going to take us. Um, a few decades ago now, I did a, uh, one of those five-day hikes in, the, in, in Colorado through the mountains, and and I remember at the end of the first half of the first day, getting, being at the base of one of these things and them saying like, all right, everybody break and, and, and have your lunch break and whatever because we're going to head up this afternoon, this part of the path, and I'm looking at the path, and the path is just switchbacks going up essentially the side of a cliff, and we're going, I don't, I don't want to do that. I don't like this path. I don't like, I don't like what this path looks like. That doesn't look like fun to me at all. 
But I, I will tell you, it was, it was worth it. Um, you, you may not know this. Some of you do, but you, most of you probably don't. So my last name, Leg, is actually a Scottish word. Um, and the way it's actually pronounced there is Leg. And you have to yell it because it's Scottish. So it's um, Leg. It, it's where we get the word league, meaning a distance. Um, so apparently it turns out that in, in the 1100s or so when when uh, England decided that Scotsmen needed names, um, last names, and so I don't, we don't know, no one to this day knows how that process was handled, who got to pick, I mean, not exactly how that was done. But we do know that generally this speaking, the reason the legs got this is because the, the, the legs were the, the black sheep family of the Maxwell clan in Scotland. Um, you'll see me in my Maxwell tartan, um, and, and don't let that scare you, um, at, the, uh, at the Highland Games in a few weeks. Um, but the, the, so we were the... the the thieves and cutthroats and spies and, and other bad things for the Maxwell clan. And so um, there was not a lot for the legs to be proud of. Uh, you, know, you know how when you do the, the ancestry stuff or, um, or that kind of stuff, how it turns out you're related to some king or some great poet or great author or whatever? Yeah, not me. Um, I didn't, we didn't have any of that stuff. In fact, the only time there was a, a, a kind of a bright shining moment in the leg history when two brothers um, in the mid-1700s came over to the United States and actually began to make a fortune for themselves. Um, this is where the legs, how the legs came to America. And, uh, and then there was this uh, war for independence and the, the leg brothers backed the British. And it uh, turns out that was a bad choice. Um, <laughs> Not, that did not go their way. So our one, our one shot at greatness, and uh, they blew it. The, um, uh, here's why. The, um, the only noble things that the legs did was, was they knew their way around the woods. Um, and uh, it's because they were criminals. In the 1100s, um, if you were, if the only way you would know your way around the woods is if you, weren't, if you decided there was worse things than the woods. Because, see, the woods is where terrible, awful things happened in the 1100s. They believed that. And so that's where we get the word panic. It comes from the god Pan, who was going to get you if you were out in the woods. And so the legs, the legs knew their way around the woods because that's where they would flee the authorities when they were in trouble. And so they knew their way there. And so what happened is when the armies needed to travel and they needed to go through the woods, who you would ask were the legs because the legs knew their way through the woods and they would be the pathfinders. And so the closest noble thing we had was being people who could guide you through the woods. And the word leg means a path in the woods. Um, that's the, the, the distance through the trees. That's what that means. By the way, we, I was 21. My father had been a forestry professor for 20 years when we found out that our name meant path in the woods. Um, that's pretty cool. Um, here's why I'm telling you all this. Here's our life verse. The verse that, that we have kind of settled on is the, the verse that we've chosen for our family. Psalm 1611, you have made known to me the path of life. It doesn't mean I'm going to like always the path of life. Um, the path of life is not always fun. Sometimes it's really, really hard. Sometimes it involves pain and suffering and depression and discouragement. But it is still the path of life. We may not always like Jesus' words of life, but it doesn't change that they're the words of life. We may be offended by them. I love the fact also because I was raised in a, in a version of Christianity that kind of taught um, that God was kind of out to get us. Um, kind of the, the Santa Clausy robo god who was just waiting for you to mess up so he could put your name on the lolly list and send you to hell. And um, it's something that um, Dave Sherman, who's leading us today, he and I have talked about in the past we have in common. Is, um, again, I've referenced multiple times that I think his church had an eyeball painted on one wall meant to um, inspire terror that God is watching you um, in that moment. Not kidding. Um, the uh, understanding that 
that was the version of God. And, and there's, there's some truth to the fact, of course, that God is watching us and, and that God is invested and God is involved. But notice what this passage goes on to say. Um, David, who knew that life could be awful, David, who walked some of the hardest paths anywhere of any time, says, and yet in your presence there's a fullness of joy. In your right hand are pleasures forevermore. The path of life is the only way to get life, and it's worth it. Let me tell you, the view from up there at the top of that mountain was worth all the huffing and puffing that I did to get there. Um, Jesus Christ has the words of life for us. And the apostle Peter, whether he likes it or not, he has recognized the truth of this. You are the one with the words of life. So whatever is going on, whatever you're dealing with, understanding, this is why we pray to God, because he's God. Why would you pray to anyone else? Even as a kid, I thought that was so strange that there were, there were people and, and groups that prayed to people other than God. And I remember asking, like, well, are you allowed to pray to God? Sure. What? Then why would you pray to anyone but God? I don't understand that. If you can pray to God, then of course you're going to pray to God. I mean, after all, he's God. Even if you could pray to somebody else, why would you? That makes no sense. Why would I go someplace other than God for this? Why would I go someplace other than Jesus Christ if Jesus Christ is the one with the words of life? Why would I follow a different path? And there are many of them. If only one of them is the path of life, that's the one I should follow. Our destination is determined by our direction. The path we're on, in other words, not our intentions. That we would grab hold of, get a part of, study and learn, invest in the words of life and the path of life. Again, we may not always like what it means to follow Jesus. We may be offended by it. It may not be comfortable, but his is the path of life. His are the words of life. The Apostle Peter will follow those words of life all the way to his own very uncomfortable death. It's that valuable. So Peter says this, we have come to know that you are the Holy One of God. And Jesus answered them and said, did I not choose you, the 12? And yet one of you is a devil, John wants us to know, he spoke of Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, for he, one of the twelve, was going to betray him, even though he'd been there all along. Chapter 7, verse 1 begins this way, after this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Verse 2, now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. And of course you say, what is the feast of booths and why would that matter? I'm glad you asked. Starting next week, John Keeling and I are going to take a couple of weeks and teach through the feasts and the festivals up here to lay the groundwork for the rest of chapter 7. She'll let you understand why the, the Feast of Booths, why it matters that it's the Feast of Booths that Jesus is going to end up going to as we, as we teach through that. Listen, I don't, I don't know what the Spirit may have revealed to you this morning. I, I hope you're listening and I hope you hear something and I hope you've been convinced or convicted of something um, in your heart. That whatever that is, whatever it is that the path that you're off that you veered to the right or the left from the path of life, I pray that, that now would be a time you would jump back on that path. That if you've not spent the energy or the time or the inclination to study God's word enough to, to see that it is the word of life, that the things that come out of Jesus' mouth are what we need for true life, not just living, but life. Life abundant and life everlasting. I hope you're able to connect to that today and each day this week. So I want, to, I want to pray for us. If, if you, if you, whether you're a church staff member or a, or a deacon or a leadership board member or, or you've been a church member your whole life, if you realize today you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ to save, you've never faithed in him, let today be the day of salvation. Come up and, and let us pray with you. We would love to do that. 
Um, if you are a follower of Jesus, whatever business needs to be done with, between us and the Spirit, I pray you'll do that. And then um, if you've already talked to somebody about the, with the Welcome Home team or, or um, whatever, that you're, and you're ready to come and join and live out life with this dysfunctional family that we are, we would love to have you um, this morning. So let me pray for us, and uh, may the Spirit lead you. Father, I, I thank you so much for the power of your Word. And I thank you for John chapter 6 and that we have the freedom in this place to study it week after week. Uh, Lord, I know that John chapter 6 has changed my life and my attitude about some key things. I pray it has for others as well. Um, God, I thank you that your son is the one with the words of life. I thank you that your son is the one who teaches the truth. God, I pray we would be the type of souls that would be willing to accept the truth even if we don't like it and even if we're uncomfortable with it and even if we're offended by it. I pray that we would be the ones to adapt to the words of your son so that we can have those words of life and be on that path of life. You have shown it to us. Now let us walk in it. Thank you, Father, for your willingness to do that in your son's name.